In the opening pages of the book of Joshua, we find Israel standing there at the very edge of the promised land, the Jordan River. And as they prepare to cross Jordan, Joshua speaks to them in Joshua chapter 3 and verse 4. And Joshua speaks to Israel and Joshua says, You have not passed this way before. That's where we are this morning. The very first Lord's Day of 2024. At the beginning of a new year and we have not passed this way before. During the coming 12 months, we will do one of three things in the Lord's work. We'll go forward. We'll shrink back. Or we'll quit altogether. I could give you examples this morning. Examples of congregations of God's people that completely ceased to exist in 2023. And we're not talking here about congregations on some back road, county road somewhere, out in the middle of some farming community on a farm to market road. There are some of those that ceased to exist in 2023. But I could take you to Memphis, Tennessee and tell you of one, or Dallas, Texas and tell you of two more, or Oklahoma City and tell you of one. The smallest of those four, when they were at their largest, boasted an attendance of about 800 every Sunday morning. One of them, nearly 2,000. One congregation that ceased to exist had a campus of acreage and buildings worth about 15 to 16 million dollars. You see, what happened was they lost interest in the work of the Lord. Jesus Christ was no longer Lord and Master of all of their lives. Some ceased meeting altogether. Some have merged with religious groups that have women for preachers and worship with the instruments. It tells you that they had a lack of knowledge of what the Scriptures teach. A lack of knowledge of the restoration movement and doing Bible things in a Bible way. They failed to move forward in the service of the Lord. All of that said, I firmly believe, I am firmly persuaded, I am convinced that the greatest days of the center church of Christ are still out there in the future waiting for us to lay claim to them. And I am firmly convinced and I firmly believe that we will go forward during this coming year in the service of the Lord, just as we went forward in the past year in the service of the Lord. However, for us to go forward in the service of God, for us to do great things for the Lord here in Center, Texas, We've got to be able to bring other people to Jesus Christ. We need to be able to win souls. We need to be able to tell our friends about Jesus, not just by what we say, but tell our friends about Jesus by the kind of life that we live. And like Andrew, Andrew and John 
were walking along with John the Baptist. And, they, and John the Baptist saw Jesus and he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And Andrew and John went and met Jesus. They said, Master, where dwellest thou? And Jesus told them, He said, Come and see. And John and Andrew went and spent the day with Jesus. And after spending the day with Jesus, it tells us that Andrew first went and found his brother Simon. And he brought him to Jesus. I read a story not long ago about a good church-going man, a barber. And he was a fine Christian man. And he'd heard a rousing sermon. A sermon on soul winning. Will you not tell it today like the song said? A sermon on sharing his faith in Jesus Christ with others. And this barber was so moved he signed up for a special soul winners class that the congregation he was a part of was offering. And he spent several weeks in that special soul winners class. He memorized scriptures, he took notes, he practiced, he rehearsed on sharing his faith in Jesus Christ with others. And the day finally came. He had his opportunity. He had prayed, and he'd prayed hard, that God would bring someone into his barber shop that needed Jesus in their life. Someone who could hear his well-rehearsed story of salvation. Well, sure enough, the day came. And this big, burly biker, complete with all the leather and the chains and the tattoos, came into the barber shop. He's got his leather, he's got his chains, and he says to the barber, he said, I lost a bet. And since I lost a bet, you've got to shave off my beard. Well, this Christian barber knew that this biker was the answer to his prayers. But you can imagine that he was a bit nervous, can't you? A bit apprehensive. What might happen? How's this biker going to take it when I start to tell him about Jesus? Is he going to listen to me? Is he going to get angry? And this barber kept thinking, what am I, how am I going to start this conversation? What's going to be the first thing I'm going to say? He takes the scissors and he carefully trims the biker's beard as close as he can. And he's trimmed his beard and he lathers up his brush. and He covers the biker's beard with lather and he takes out his razor and he's got his razor strap. And he's strapping, stropping that razor and he says... Sir, are you prepared to die? That might not have been the best way to start the conversation. And maybe it wasn't the most tactful approach. But you've got to admire two things. You've got to admire His desire, and you've got to admire His dedication. Now that said, let me pose a question to you this morning. Can you imagine a firefighter Leaving a victim inside a burning building and not trying to rescue them? Would a doctor see a patient dying on a gurney in the emergency room and not try in some way to help them? Would a lifeguard 
see a swimmer drowning in the surf and just sit on his station there on the beach? Would any mother see her child in danger and not make an attempt to save that child? The obvious answer to every one of these questions is, of course not. Then how in the name of Israel's God can Christian people see a world that's lost, dying in sin on its way to a fiery hell and not attempt to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. Before Jesus went back to the Father, He called the disciples together. And when He called the disciples together, He told them, He said, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and in earth. And then He said this in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go you therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Once upon a time, churches attempting to restore New Testament Christianity, churches speaking where the Bible speaks and being silent where the Bible is silent. Churches doing Bible things in Bible ways and calling Bible things by Bible names were the fastest, if not one of the fastest growing religious groups in this nation. What happened? What went wrong? How did we lose our way? But more importantly, what is our view of evangelism? What should our view of evangelism be? What should our view of soul winning be? I'm firmly convinced that a big part of the problem is simply embarrassment over clumsy attempts we've seen by people in sharing the gospel. We have these images of turn or burn evangelists. Hellfire and damnation preachers. People seemingly more intent on collecting scalps than saving souls and bringing people to Jesus. And maybe over the years, bad evangelism or bad soul winning has turned us away. And turned us off toward any sort of evangelism at all. I remember many years ago when I was a small boy. And yes, it takes a good memory to go back that far. But I was taking voice lessons from a lady by the name of Anna Craig Bates. at a big two-story house. I was there one afternoon for my voice lesson. Hard to believe I ever took voice lessons in it. But I did. And there was a knock on her door. And there was this man there in shabby clothes. Unshaven, dirty. He said, ma'am, she answered the door. He said, ma'am, I need something to eat. She said, well, come around to the back door. So he went around to the kitchen door. And she went in the kitchen. She didn't have much to offer, but she went in the kitchen and she 
took about four pieces of bread and buttered them, put them in a skillet and toasted them and gave them to him. And he sat on her back steps with those and a glass of water was just most appreciative of it. And then the next time I went for a voice lesson, she said, you know, I shouldn't have given that man anything. She said, the next day three other men showed up wanting something to eat. Well, you see, that's kind of the way our evangelism needs to be. We don't need to worry about taking a Bible in our hand and going door to door. <coughs> evangelism, in reality, should be more like one beggar telling another beggar where he found a piece of bread. Evangelism needs to be like one beggar telling another beggar where it is he can get something to eat. We just don't see the urgency sometimes of sharing our faith, do we? We sometimes just don't see a real reason we need to attempt to share our faith. Do we realize? Do we really believe there's a place called hell? Do we really believe that lost souls are going to spend eternity there? I'm afraid that oftentimes we live as if we don't really believe that hell exists and we don't really believe that faith in Jesus is necessary for salvation. We want to talk about God and God's love. And let's emphasize God's love. But do we ever really want to hear a sermon or think about the judgment of God? And when we talk about a life after death, we always want to talk about the sweet by and by. We never want to talk about or think about the fact that there is the option of eternal punishment. And I've got to admit it's tempting. Oh, it's so tempting. It's tempting to say that a good and a merciful and a loving God would never consign a person to a place called hell. And it would be a wonderful thing to say that every ending is a happy ending and that in the hereafter, everybody's going to live happily ever after. And I often wonder, why do we want to say that? Why do we want to think that? Do we want to say that and think that because that better fits our conception of God? Or do we want to say that and do we want to think that because it gets us off the hook to tell others about Jesus? I would love to be able to stand up here this morning, put a big smile on my face and be able to say in reality there is no hell. And everybody in the past, every preacher you ever heard before me today was mistaken. But I can't do that. I have to accept this as my standard of truth. And I have to say that isn't so. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has this to say in Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. Enter you in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life, 
and few there be that find it. That's the King James Version. There's another translation or paraphrase of the Bible known as the message. And personally, I'm usually not a big fan of how the message treats a passage of Scripture. But in this case, I find it enlightening. Here's the way the message translates that passage. Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. The examples of the early leaders of the faith is they gave their lives on earth to share a hope for eternity with others. They believed there was a life after death. And there was a heaven and there was a hell. Sometimes when we fail in our efforts, we become downhearted. We become discouraged. We'll ask people to come to worship with us over and over and over again and we'll get told no. Maybe we get discouraged. Maybe we get disheartened because we don't understand our task as soul winners. It reminds me of a story I heard about a salesman salesman who was disappointed because he lost a sale it was a particularly large account and he was really down in the dumps over it and he was talking to his sales manager and he said I guess it just proves you can lead a horse to water but you can't make him drink sales manager looked at him and he said son your job is not to make him drink your job's to make him thirsty. That's the way it is with evangelism. Our task is not to make people drink. Our task is by our life, by our demeanor, by our example, by what we say, to live a life in front of other people. And tell a story with our life and with our words that makes them thirsty for what we have. Jesus promised His disciples He was going to make them fishers of men. You remember the story of Matthew 4? He sees Andrew and James and Simon and John. They're casting their nets. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I read a story not long ago about the parable of the fishermen. It goes like this. It came to pass there was a group of people who existed who called themselves fishermen. And lo, there were many fish in the waters all around. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes that were filled with fish, and the fish were hungry. 
week after week and month after month and year after year, these who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about the call to fish. They discussed the abundance of fish and how they could go about fishing. And year after year, they carefully defined what fishing means. And they defended fishing as an occupation. And they declared that fishing is always to be the primary task of a fisherman. And they continually searched for new and better methods of fishing. They sought out new and better definitions of fishing. And these fishermen built a large, beautiful building and they called it the fishing station. And the plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and every fisherman should fish. The one thing they didn't do was they didn't fish. Well, after one stirring meeting at the fishing station on the necessity of fishing, one young fellow left the meeting and actually went fishing. And the next day he reported that he had caught two outstanding fish. He was honored for his excellent catch and he was scheduled then to visit all the big meetings possible and tell how he caught the two fish. So he quit fishing so he had time to tell about the experience of fishing to other fishermen. Are you listening? It's time to start fishing. So the question becomes how? How do we go about fishing? Oftentimes we're quite timid about sharing our faith, aren't we? If we actually have the courage to share it with others, are they going to be receptive? Well, I always heard it was social suicide to talk politics and religion. Do you have a friend that's gone through a trial in their life? Maybe they've lost a loved one. Maybe they've lost their health. Maybe they're going through some serious illness. Don't go knock on the door and say, can we study together about the Bible? Just offer to pray with them. You see, sometimes sharing our faith in a practical way is actually the most effective way to share Jesus. There's a name for it. It's called lifestyle evangelism. Something that would impress a non-Christian and might cause them to ask questions. Something that might cause them to start a conversation about Jesus Christ. Sometimes a good approach can be to start a discussion with a non-Christian where you Intentionally ask them, what, what do you believe about some particular moral question that confronts us in life? Ask them their views and listen without saying, well, you're wrong. It's a way to explain the teachings of Jesus to others. Another way is to use event-oriented evangelism. That's simply inviting someone to a worship service or some other activity. That's why you've got those little things in the bulletin. By the way, like some of you have heard me say, you know, pick those bulletins up. I don't just type that for my exercise or to see if I still know how to use a keyboard. There's information in there that you might could use, and there might even be something in there you might learn something from. So pick up a bulletin and read one from time to time. 
event-oriented evangelism. In just two months, the first Sunday in March, we're going to have Pack a Pew Sunday. Invite people to come and be your guest. The last Friday night in April, we're going to have an area-wide singing again like we had last year. Invite people to come and join in the singing of gospel songs. Every year in September, we have our annual Friends and Family Day. Invite people to come and be a part of that. There are other ways we can help spread the gospel to others. At the bottom of the front page of the bulletin is the program schedule for the Search TV program. We can encourage our friends to watch the program. I've got a good friend. Lives in Marshall. Was talking to me the other day and he said, you know, every week the first thing I do. And by the way, he's a preacher for a denominational group. He said, every Sunday the first thing I do on Sunday morning is watch Phil Sanders on the Search TV program. When was the last time you encouraged someone to watch the Search TV program? We can encourage our friends to watch that program. We actually support it financially from the treasure of this church on a monthly basis. Phil Sanders was here this past spring for our weekend gospel meeting. Phil Sanders is going to be here again the end of April 2025. That's next year. People talk about, well, we. I remember the days when we used to knock doors. Well, door knocking is not what it used to be. It's not the effective tool it was 50 years ago. You can see that. When was the last time you saw the Kirby vacuum cleaner salesman knock on your door? When was the last time you saw the Fuller Brush? How many of you even remember the Fuller Brush man? You don't see salesmen going door to door anymore. Major companies have abandoned that as a way of selling. But we have Facebook. We have the Internet. We post articles regularly on Facebook. Many of you are... Excellent with the way you share those things. And I appreciate it so very much. Last week, our little column across the preacher's desk, according to the report I got from Facebook, reached nearly 400 people. And it averages over 300 every week that read across the preacher's desk. And that doesn't count the people that see it on Shelby County today. Share those things on Facebook. Our Sunday morning sermons are videoed. And those videos are available on YouTube. They're available on Facebook. And they're available on our church website. CenterChurchOfChrist.com Encourage people to look at those. Audio versions of every Sunday morning sermon are available on our webpage and on Apple iTunes as a podcast. We can encourage our friends to watch them. We can encourage our friends to listen to them. Listen to what I'm saying. Personal evangelism does not necessarily mean that you grab your Bible, put your Bible under your arm and go door to door trying to get into somebody's house to see if they'll let you study the Bible with them. Personal evangelism. It's about relationships. It's about relationships and it's about bringing our friends to Jesus. That's what Andrew did. Now maybe you're sitting there thinking, I don't really think any of these things are effective. And if you don't think any of these things I've brought up this morning are effective, tell me how you do it.
I'm reminded one time of what happened when Billy Sunday, well-known evangelist, someone came up to Billy Sunday and said, you know, I really don't like the way you go about doing personal evangelism. And Billy Sunday said, well, tell me how you do it. And the man said, well, I don't. And Billy Sunday said, well, I like the way I do it better than I like the way you don't do it. The simple truth is, no American generation has a greater need to hear the gospel than ours does. And in the midst of a generation screaming for answers, God's people are stuttering. We need to stop stuttering. We need to start fishing. And we need to bring our friends to Jesus Christ. Now maybe, just maybe, this morning Jesus is not really the Lord and Master of your life. That's the place to start. The place to start in bringing others to Jesus is to make sure that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Master of your life. Not just part of your life, but all of your life. And you do that in becoming in simple trusting faith, repenting of sin in your life, confessing His name, and being baptized by immersion for their forgiveness of past sins. And that makes Jesus Lord of your life. Now maybe you've never done that. I beg you to do it before you leave this building. You've done that, but you haven't lived God's kind of life. You need to come back and start by making Jesus Lord of your life. If we can help you in whatever the need of your life would be this morning, please give us the opportunity to do that. As together we stand and while we sing.